0: Hey everybody, it's Alice here with another episode of Poetry Says for you. Coming to you from metropolitan Melbourne, lockdown day something, don't know what it is. I have been watching a ton of movies lately and today I want to talk to you about a little trope that I have noticed popping up in some of the movies that I've been watching. The trope being English class as sight of meaning and specifically poem overlaid as instant theme for a film. I've got a bunch of different examples to talk to you about. I think this is something that happens in films badly a lot of the time, but I do have one really interesting and I think positive example of the use of a poem to not just amp up the meaning of a film, but in this case, the whole film actually is built around a single poem. But I think you probably already have something in mind where we're in an English classroom and the class is reading a poem and that poem somehow relates to the plot or to the theme. Maybe it relates to the central relationship. Maybe there are some meaningful looks being thrown between the two romantic leads. Maybe the teacher is looking meaningfully at a student. It's, it's just a really great shortcut into the heart of a film. And I think that's why it's used as a device so often. It's a way to slap on meaning with a capital M when it's done without much thought. And sometimes I think it's a little wink from the script writer as well. Somebody who obviously loves writing, enjoys writing and thinks it's important. And sometimes I think that window into the English classroom is kind of a comment to the audience like, Look how we had to engage with poetry back at school. This isn't how you appreciate art. It's incredible that I even made it out with any sense of love for writing at all because these, these examples are often sort of negative or at least the relationship between students and poetry is almost never positive, at least to begin with. And winning students over to poetry becomes part of the narrative arc and part of the redemptive kind of story of a lot of these movies that i want to talk about today really obvious example to start off with a film from 1989 with the thesis that poetry can change the world starting off with a voice that you will probably recognize
1: keep ripping gentlemen this is a battle a war and the casualties could be your hearts and souls thank you mr Dalton. Armies of academics going forward, measuring poetry. No! We will not have that here. No more, Mr. J. pitching. Now, my class, you will learn to think for yourselves again. You will learn to savor words and language. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world.
0: Probably, like me, you had to watch this film in high school, Dead Poets Society, Peter Weir's movie from 1989, starring Robin Williams, who, as Mr Keating, talks a big game, but seems to only know Walt Whitman and maybe one other poet This scene that we're listening to now is our first interaction with his teaching methods. He's asking his students, his English class, his all-boy English class, to rip out the first pages of their poetry anthologies because they contain a formula for knowing what a good poem is.
1: I have a little secret for you. Huddle up.
0: Huddle up!
1: We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman,
0: problems with this device of poetry as site of meaning in film is that it constantly reinforces the idea that there's a right way to approach poetry even though it thinks what it's doing is challenging it
1: oh captain my captain <clears throat> who knows where that comes from anybody Not a clue. It's from a poem by Walt Whitman about Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Now, in this class, you can either call me Mr. Keating, or if you're slightly more daring, Oh, Captain, my Captain. (laughs) Now, let me dispel a few rumors so they don't fester into facts. Yes, I, too, attended Helton. and I survived. And no, at that time, I was not the mental giant you see before you. I was the intellectual equivalent of a 98-pound weakling. I would go to the beach, and people would kick copies of Byron in my face. (laughs) Now, Mr... Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts, where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymn to page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. the virgins to make much of time yes that's the one somewhat appropriate isn't it
2: gather ye rosebuds while ye may old time is still a flying and this same flower
1: that smiles today tomorrow will be dying thank you mr pitts gather ye rosebuds while ye may the latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem now who knows what that means carpe diem that to the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name.
0: So Mr. Keating's role, the way he situates himself in relation to his students and to poetry is that he understands what the real meaning of poetry is and he's going to impart that knowledge to his students. It's a very one-way relationship that's set up in this movie and... If you know the movie, you know that he gets his students all excited about life and he introduces them to this secret society that he used to have when he was a student at the same school. And they follow his example, but they don't have any strategies to handle the things that they come up against. And the film ends in this really horrifically tragic way. I first saw it when I was about 14 years old, and I don't think I ever fully recovered from the ending.
1: Can you keep a secret? The dead poets were dedicated to sucking the marrow out of life. That's a phrase from Thoreau we would invoke at the beginning of every meeting. See, we would gather at the old Indian cave... take turns reading from Thoreau, Whitman, Shelley, the biggies. Even some of our own verse. And in the enchantment of the moment, we'd let poetry work its magic. You mean it was a bunch of guys sitting around reading poetry? No, Mr. Overstreet, it wasn't just guys. We weren't a Greek organization, we were romantics. We didn't just read poetry we let it drip from our tongues like honey spirits soared, women swooned and gods were created gentlemen not a bad way to spend an evening eh
0: mm.
1: thank you mr perry for this stroll down amnesia lane burn that especially my picture
0: but the point being here that the thesis of dead poet society is that not appreciating poetry properly properly being in the way that mr keating appreciates it using it as this kind of almost an excuse for behaving for seizing the day for just doing whatever feels like the right thing in the moment is equivalent to not understanding life it's not an irredeemable film but it's a hard watch these days now there was a movie made a couple of years ago put out in 2017 called handsome devil which is kind of the modern answer to Dead Poets Society. It's an updated Dead Poets, I guess. But here again, this relationship between teacher, poetry, and student is set up in this way where the teacher understands what it is that poetry means and its role, and the students just don't get it. So in this scene, Andrew Scott, who plays the teacher, is about to shame his student for trying to pass off a song as an original poem.
1: A family member. I have this cousin whose
3: name's Kevin, and I'm pretty sure he's destined for heaven. He's always spotlessly
1: dressed, clean and neat and totally smooth. He likes to wear this fur-lined sheepskin jacket.
4: Keep going, please.
3: Kevin, start the My perfect cousin, um, he doesn't. He's his father's pride and joy. His mother's little gone away. Economics. He thinks I'm a bit of a cabbage, cos I hate university. Stop, stop, stop. Listen to you, the baying crowd, bleating like sheep. Why do you assume that this lesson isn't for you?
4: Never, ever, ever
3: use a borrowed
1: voice. You're all individual.
3: someone else, who's going to be you?
1: Get out!
0: He gets so angry at the idea that his students are using a quote-unquote borrowed voice and we never really understand, we never really get to understand why that is, like why it's, it's so deeply important to him that they're original people. It's a great movie though, it's it's really sweet and lovely, and I particularly enjoy it because it, I think it takes Dead Poets Society and surfaces a whole bunch of the themes that are in it, but that aren't dealt with specifically all the queerness that is all over Dead Poets Society. But yeah, the more I dug into all this, the more I thought, how many times have we seen this interaction where a teacher who gets it, who gets poetry, stands in front of a class that just doesn't get it. And how significant is that in reinforcing this idea that poetry is for special people who have a special understanding and a special approach to words? Poetry is for the sensitive and the particularly intelligent. It takes a special kind of artistic sensitivity to get poetry but if you can unlock it then maybe your life will change kind of this this mystical sense almost of poetry there's a movie that takes this much much further which you may have seen all the way back in 1995 and you will probably know just by just by the song most associated with it dangerous minds Michelle Pfeiffer is a totally believable ex Marine turned teacher. And in this movie, we have poetry as something that can completely redeem students' lives, completely change the course of what they can do, what they can achieve.
2: Horrible sensei! <laughs> It's obvious that homeboy is a
3: noun. Noun <laughs> is correct. Well, give me my damn Kenny part.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Boy, poetry will be a piece of cake for this crowd.
1: Yeah. You know, I thought you keep saying poetry. What's poetry got to do with this shit?
4: Poetry? Well... Because if you can read poetry, you can read just about anything, huh? When you're ready for poetry, you're ready for bear. I said bring on the bear. I'm always ready for bear, see? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I'm always ready to see you bear. Oh, oh shut up, me. you
2: stupid.
4: Yeah? I- Is poet.
0: And here again, we have this sense of poetry is a particularly special art form. The most special, the most difficult. If you can unlock it, you can unlock any other art form. At least that's how I read this next scene.
4: Okay, this is another Dylan poem. Now, is that a code or does that just mean what it says? And I will not carry myself down to die. When I go to my grave, my head will be high. My head will be high. What does that mean? Anybody. Nobody. Is there something I should know? Yeah, I'll tell you. You it on Raul, Guzmado, and Emilio. Yeah, you got Emilio put into detention.
2: It wasn't none of your business, Cheese And you got Raul and Gusmaro suspended. How are they gonna get the fucking ass? And you got hey, I didn't rat on,
0: on anybody. You oh, Chismosa. Oh, she
3: was
4: full of shit. Snitches get stitches. Bitch. Do you want to talk about this?
2: <laughs>
4: well, if you all feel that strongly about it, leave the room. What? Hey, listen. Nobody's forcing you to be here. You have a choice. You can stay or you can
3: leave. Lady, why are you playing this game? We don't have a choice.
4: You don't have a choice? You don't have a choice on whether or not you're here?
3: No. If
4: we leave, we don't get to graduate. If
1: we stay, we gotta put up with you.
4: Well, that's a choice, isn't it? You have a choice. You either don't graduate or you have to put up with me. It may not be a choice you like, but it is a choice. Man, you don't understand nothing. I mean, you don't come from where we live. You're not bussed here. Do you have a choice to get on that bus? Man, you come and live in my neighborhood for one week, and then you tell me if you got a choice. But there are a lot of people who live in your neighborhood who choose not to get on that bus. What do they choose to do? They choose to go out and sell drugs. They choose to go out and kill people. They choose to do a lot of other things, but they choose not to get on that bus. The people who choose to get on that bus, which are you, are the people who are saying, I will not carry myself down to die. When I go to my grave, my head will be high. That is a choice. There are no victims in this classroom. Why do you care anyway? You just here for the money? Because I make a choice to care. And honey, the money ain't that good. Whatever.
3: Read it again, Miss Johnson. What? Read those lines you just read again.
4: I will not go down underground cause somebody tells me that death's coming round does that mean just what it says
1: no don't mean just what it says because
3: you wouldn't go under the ground if someone told you death was coming but you would go into the ground if you were already dead
0: in this movie we have to take it as read that poetry is the ultimate art form that poetry is going to save these students from the life that is supposedly laid out for them look there's a lot of problems with this film from the get-go but we'll just focus on the, the poetry aspect of it and leave aside the deep white savior issues that it has This film also includes another kind of common dynamic around poetry and poetry in the classroom that comes up again and again and that's the moment when the penny drops, the moment when the students get it, when they understand poetry and that moment of unlocking becoming not just unlocking of the poem but unlocking of the possibility of their lives. Do the rest of you agree with that?
2: Well, I kind of agree with it, but I think it just means that he ain't going to help death out. You know? It's not like he's just going to lay down and wait for it. I think he's going to choose, no, I think he's going to make the choice to die hard.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's
3: what it
4: sounds like to me. Okay, but well what about uh, the rest of it? Um... When I go to my grave, my head will be high, head will be high.
0: What does that mean? will die with pride. Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't entirely prepared for her students to get on board at that point in the film, but they did. And they're starting to figure out, oh, what does that mean? What does it really mean? There's this constant sense, too, that, like, there is a right answer. There is a right way to interpret poetry. But... There are no strategies for doing that, that these teachers are presenting. They're just asking, what do you think it means? What do you think it means over and over again? This is a experience that I think a lot of students have had, maybe still do have in the classroom. And having spoken to teachers who teach English I know that the part of that is because sometimes they are just given poetry as part of their syllabus and told go forth and teach that without having any strategies for close reading themselves so it's it's difficult but I think it's really interesting how we get to see that play out on film as if that is the right way to teach a poem I mean, look, it's got to be done that way for narrative purposes. Obviously, you can't really get into doing a line-by-line analysis. It wouldn't make for a very good film. Speaking of massive white savior issues, The Blind Side, 2009. In this film, there is also an example of poetry changing somebody's life. And in this case, too, revealing a secret truth about a character. This is another trope I think that sort of swirls around poetry and film that when it's written in a poem it's particularly true. This next scene all the teachers in the staff room, all the white teachers are gathered around and they're talking about Michael Orr who is the main character in the movie and they've found a piece of writing that Michael has written and thrown into the garbage. I don't know why, I can't recall why they think it's okay that they fish it out of the garbage and they're reading it to each other, but that's what they're doing. And yeah, I think this is an interesting example of poetry revealing the secret truth of a character. Well, the big
3: kid's been here for a month. He's still not covered in my class.
0: Why does admissions
4: do this? I mean, it's not fair to us or the boy. Just setting him up to fail.
3: I don't think he has any idea of what I'm teaching.
4: And how would you know if he did? He won't even talk. He writes. His name? Barely.
3: He threw this in the trash can. I look and I see white everywhere. White walls, white floors, and a lot of white people. The teachers do not know. I have no idea of anything they are talking about. I do not want to listen to anyone, especially the teachers. They are giving homework and expecting me to do the problems on my own. I have never done homework in my life. I go to the bathroom, look in the mirror, and say, this is not Michael Orr. He entitled it White
0: Walls. Later on in the movie, the blind side has just as many problems as dangerous minds, if not more, many more perhaps. Michael, who's now living with Sandra Bullock's family and getting a special tutor and hanging out, doing his homework. In this scene, he is being told what a particular poem means. Again, learning to appreciate poetry in the right way. There is one way to interpret it. If you're smart enough, you'll get it.
3: They named LSU Stadium Death Valley because of this story. Alfred Lord Tennyson was writing about LSU Ole Miss. You kidding? No, it's a great story.
2: It's a poem.
3: Forward the light brigade. It's like the offense. Charge for the guns, he said. It's the end zone. Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered.
0: Someone made a mistake?
3: Yeah, their leader, their
0: coach. But why would they go ahead if they knew he messed up? There's
3: not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die into the Valley of Death Road, the 600.
1: They're all gonna
0: die, aren't they? Yeah. It's really, really sad.
3: I think you just found something to write
0: about, Michael. What is happening in this scene, okay? Tennyson's poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, can only be understood if it's talked about in the context of football. Was there ever a heavier-handed way to introduce the theme of a film two-thirds of the way in, just in case you didn't get it by that point? And you've got Kathy Bates sitting there on the couch going, it's a poem. <laughs> it's a poem. Oh, let's let's leave the blind side there. Let's, let's just walk away from that. So the last movie I wanted to talk about with an example of how a poem is used to impart meaning is called Margaret. It's a 2011 film by Kenneth Lonergan. I say 2011, he spent six years editing this thing. It's three hours long, it got really badly stuck in post-production, but it's incredible not for the faint of heart, not recommending it if you're not feeling strong, but it really is an operatic effort. It's got Anna Paquin in the lead role, she plays Lisa. And in the scene we have where a poem is used, it just appears, Lisa's in an English class, again, back in English class, and her teacher reads the entirety of this Gerard Manley Hopkins poem. There's nothing before it, there's nothing after it, it just happens.
3: Spring and fall to a young child by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Margaret, are you grieving over Golden Grove unleaving? Leaves like the things of man you with your fresh thoughts care for, can you? Ah, as the heart grows older, it will come to such sights colder by and by. Nor spare a sigh, the worlds of one would leaf me a lie. And yet you will weep, and know why. Now, no matter, child, the name, sorrow's springs are the same, nor mouth had, no, nor mind expressed what heart heard of, ghost guessed. It is the blight man was born for. It is Margaret you mourn for. Any thoughts?
0: Lisa? I don't know if you can pick it up from the voice there, but that is Matthew Broderick as Lisa's English teacher. I love how it just ends with, any thoughts? Again, we've got all these same tropes coming in. The teacher who somehow knows what is going on in the poem Spring and Fall, is imparting that knowledge to the class. And we get that all in those, in those two words, any thoughts, no strategies, no clues, no nothing, just what do you think of this poem? I mean, there's so much going on in it, what do you think? But as a viewer, you have a bit of a different relationship to it. This is not about redemption, this is not about changing lives, this is not about the teacher being better than the student or the students actually being more knowledgeable than the teacher. The poem, Spring and Fall, the themes in the poem of growing older and understanding what it really is to grieve, and yet you will weep and know why. That is the theme of the film. And yeah, when you look at the poster, you see Anna Paquin, it's called Margaret. You think, oh, that must be Margaret. There is no Margaret in the film. There's Lisa, there's her mom. Uh, the, no one in the film is called Margaret. It's Margaret is that poem. And that poem appears about one and a half hours in and then it's gone. But it is read in its entirety. The last little example that I want to share with you also from Margaret is when Matthew Roderick again, is standing up in front of class, trying to get them to interpret King Lear in the way that he would like them to. And I think this kind of ties together all the tropes that we've picked up on. Him. Maybe Shakespeare isn't saying the gods
2: don't care about us. Maybe he's saying there's a higher consciousness that we can't see. That the gods' perception of reality is so much more developed than ours that compared to their perception, our perceptions are
3: like comparing flies to boys. Okay, I really, I really don't think that that's what he's getting at. What I think he's getting at here is a very dark view of the
2: arbitrary nature of human suffering. But maybe he's not. Maybe he's comparing human consciousness to divine consciousness, and that even though it seems to us that human suffering is just arbitrary, that's just because we're limited by our viewpoint.
3: Okay, I
2: I still don't think that that's what he's saying. Um, No, like, if you say they kill us for their sport, when our perception of the gods is so meager that we can't even tell what they're doing, then how can we be so arrogant as to think that they would even bother to kill us for their sport?
3: I don't know. Uh, Ah, Monica.
0: I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying that the gods don't give a shit about human beings and that they just like to kill and torture us for fun.
2: But if the gods' consciousness is so much more developed than ours that we seem like flies to them, then how can we be sure what they have in mind for us or why they do anything? Okay, David,
3: I think you've made your point, but that's not what Shakespeare meant. Scholarly opinion is pretty consistent that he's trying to say something Scholarly opinion. about uh, human suffering here. But what are you saying? A thousand Frenchmen
2: can't be wrong. No, I'm not saying that, but I would like to move on. Well, I think he is saying that because he's comparing human consciousness to flies and he's saying that we can't see the truth around us because our consciousness is undeveloped.
3: No, David, you're wrong. That's not what Shakespeare meant. He says it somewhere else in the play, but I don't want to get hung up on this because that's not what Shakespeare meant.
0: I would really like to move on poor matthew broderick in that scene he's reaching for his orange juice and sandwich he's got low blood sugar this teacher and he's just having a really tough time with that one student who thinks he knows a lot better what shakespeare meant and yeah we're back to this question of like what does it really mean what is he really saying And I love that scene because it kind of reveals how silly that discussion is. And it almost anticipates the conversations that you're going to have after you have seen this movie. As you're walking out of the cinema with your friends, if you can imagine such a thing. It's um, like the scene where he just reads the entirety of Spring and Fall. That scene feels a little bit outside the movie. It feels a little bit like a a zoom out to a 20,000 foot view. And I think it's a rare example of a discussion about poetry, I guess in this case about a play, and the teacher-student dynamic not just being about somebody knows best, there's a right answer, and if you're smart enough, you'll be able to unlock it. So those are the examples that came to mind when I went through my collection of movies. I'm certain there are many more, probably some really obvious ones that I have missed. I wonder if there are examples of this being done well and done differently. Is it always a lazy device? Is it bad for poetry? Does it represent poetry and the study of poetry in a bad light? Is it just a fun way to get a poem in front of people? I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love your movie recommendations. And as always, thank you so much for listening.